um, John chapter 20, in one verse in John chapter 20, verse 15. But we're going to spend a lot of time uh, uh, looking at that verse, but also many related verses. So uh, if you will, find John chapter 20, verse 15. Um, while you, while you uh, find that, I'm going to say that um, I was thinking the other day that first off, and this is just personal, it's certainly nothing that you should be too awfully excited about, but as I was thinking that this is my 15th Easter with this church. For good. Many, many, many glorious times of which hanging on with all with my fingernails. There's no doubt about that. Certainly no doubt about that. At the same time, it's always, for me, this is the Sunday of the year. Um, this is the Sunday in which we really come together to celebrate uh, the gospel more than any other. I know that, that, that Christmas draws a lot of attention, but Easter is the culmination of the gospel message. The, all the promises of the Old Testament find their, their fulfilling in that Easter morning. This is the time in which we know for certain that we are saved. Do you understand that? Until this, until this moment, it was all miracles and magic. It was wonderful sermons. and They are life-giving sermons. The many times which we didn't even understand, the people didn't. But when that, when that tomb was empty and that Savior was alive... When he had defeated death in the way no leader had ever defeated death. When he says you have life in him and him alone, you know that there is life in him and him alone. Because no one else conquered death. Death was made a footstool on Easter morning. It is the gospel. So let's, let's, let's read it. Let's pray. Let's preach it. Now in, in chapter 20 verse 15. We have that moment in which Mary comes to the, the garden tomb and she and her Lord is gone. He is, he is not there. Now there's nothing in Mary that, that expected that all those prophecies that had been preached about would be fulfilled. Um, don't, don't, don't be harsh on Mary because what Mary experienced was what we often experience. We talk about the gospel a lot. We talk about the promises of the scriptures a lot. But to be blunt with you. We don't live like they're true do we? We know we're supposed to. But we don't live like they're true. Mary wasn't believing in the way she was going to believe. When her belief became sight. When she saw him. This is verse 15. Jesus said to her. Don't miss the beginning. The one she's looking for is talking to her. Dead men don't talk. But he's alive. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and to preach your gospel, Father God. I pray, Father God, for my ability, God, to do it today, Lord. Not just intellectually, not just mentally and emotionally, Father God. But I pray for it physically today. But Father God, I know, Lord, that you are going to, I pray, God, that you will speak through me, that the prayer and the study is there, Father God, that your leadership has been felt in the wee hours of the morning, and that now, Father God, that, that you will guide me through the rest of this mission. Because, Father God, your word is the most vital thing 
that can be demonstrated today, Father God. And all of the, the, the pageantry, Father God, of a holiday, Lord. I pray, God, that today, right now at this moment, Father God, that your gospel will ring out and ring true. I pray, Father God, for this pulpit. I pray, Father God, for my abilities. And I pray, Father God, for the people that will hear it today. That it is impactful, that it's meaningful, that lives change because of it. That's what we all desire, Father God, is to see lives change temporally and see them change infinitely, Father God, for you. We want to see that today, Father God. We ask you, Father God, because you are the great God and you are the only hope that we have. We love you, Father God. I pray, God, in the midst of this pandemic, that your church, Father God, is rebuilt on the solid rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do this, Father God. We pray, God, today. We love you, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray, Lord. Amen. And John Calvin wrote, he said, The cross of Christ only triumphs in the breast of believers over the devil and the flesh, sin and sinners, when their eyes are directed to the power of his resurrection. We look today to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Every promise that's made about him being the God-man, the Messiah, the, the Christos, the Anointed One, has now come to its final fruition in the fact that this tomb is empty and that he now addresses Mary, he speaks to Mary. Embracing tragedy and rejection without a mind for triumph in the gospel, Mary approaches the garden too. She does this because she's desiring to honor her commitment to the remains of Jesus. This isn't a hateful action, this is an action just imbued with this unbelievable love and devotion that she has to her to, to Christ. She loved him. The very same we will go back and place flowers upon graves because our devotion does not end at death, but it, it lingers until the, 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 the last of our days because we don't forget our departed, but we remember them. Not just often, but every day. Mary's going back because she loves Jesus. But for Mary, she has not really understood who he is until this moment. He'd said everything he needed to say. His mission was complete in both preaching and in commitment to the truth. All the way to the point at which he has atoned for the sins. Which he gets to utter that unbelievable statement. Title S time. It's finished. No more blood, no more suffering, nothing. Nothing is left to give. Everything had been given so that salvation is purchased for us. He'd done everything. But Mary just didn't understand. But she's going to be made to understand very shortly. Because he asks, why are you weeping? Why are you weep? Why are you crying? Now, I, I, would, I would surmise this, not to ever superimpose upon the scriptures my own opinions. But I would surmise this, that Mary, that, that what our Lord is saying to Mary is, why are you crying like that? Because I imagine if we were gathered at the tomb ourselves together, knowing what we know on this side of the cross, even though we expect it to be empty, when we see it empty, what do we do? We weep with joy. There's our Lord. 
know we'll find him. Better than that, he'll find us. He will seek us out. He sought Mary out. For Mary, she was still weeping as if he was dead and not alive. As if his promises were not real. She never dreamed that Christ's most vital promises were being outrageously fulfilled that morning. So much of what Jesus said was hidden for the church, right? Was not revealed to those who were, who were perishing, but was revealed to those who were to be saved. But this was outrageous. This was so outrageous that they would lie about it. The culture would lie about it for 2,000 years. Because if there were any, if any doubt was left at the end of his public ministry, if any doubt was left at the end of his transfiguration, if any doubt was left at the end of his crucifixion, there is no doubt when the grave has been thrown open and the Lord lives and hundreds see him, there is no doubt. It was a truth so powerful that the evil world had to invent a lie to wash it all away. The tomb that she discovered was empty and the Savior that she sought rose. The power of the resurrection of Christ was directly visible to Mary and Jesus is not going to allow her to miss this point. Instead, he directly addresses her. He asks the same question that the angels had posed, right? Woman, why are you weeping? And he follows it up with, whom are you seeking? I'm going to tell you this much. Of all that's ever going to be said, of, of everything, every way in which the goodness of the gospel addresses the lostness and the depravity of the world. That's the most important question. That's the question today that's posed to every single heart from gospel pulpits around the globe. Whom are you seeking? Because those who seek him will find him. But those who seek something else or someone else... Or a Christ that they can understand and grasp. A Christ that can fit in their own philosophy. And if they're going to find just what they're looking for. They will not find the one. They'll not find the one that's come to atone for sins. They're not going to find the one who's come to free you from the bondage that drags you to hell. Because Jesus came to shatter bonds. That's why he came. The terror of the cross was over. The despondency of the tomb had lapsed. And all that remained was the infinite hope of the resurrection of Christ. See, when all this is over with, what he leaves us with is hope. Hope. Not the false hope of the world that maybe things will work out. Not the hope that maybe I'll win the lottery and all my financial problems will go away. Not the hope that, that maybe they'll find uh, some, some cure to what ails me. But the hope, the hope of eternity with Christ. That is not really hope at all. It is anticipation of that which has already been given. I've just got to wait. It's there. It's held in trust and no one can take it away. What awaits you in glory given to you by the gospel and your repentance and the blood of Christ is there forever. It's not diminishing. It's not rusting. It can't be stolen. It's been given to you 
by Jesus because he wanted you to have it. In this act, the gospel is completed and the church age appears on the horizon. From this point further, the church would declare not a dead martyr, but a risen Savior who reigns and returns shortly for his people. For the disciples who remained in bondage to fear and the natural world. And that's something I think we, we need to talk about for just a second. They were so accustomed to death. In a way that we are not. People live so long nowadays. And we're so healthy for so long. Imagine a world in which a 45 year old man is really old. They were so accustomed to death. They knew death in a way that we don't. They buried children and they buried husbands and wives and brothers and sisters on a regular basis. Infections killed millions. They were used to death. What they had no grasp of is what happens when death is conquered. What happens when God has made a footstool of death. Imagine our reaction. We're there with them to the coming of the truth of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. When it's our beloved Savior, not just the one we love from afar, but when we've walked with Him. When we've looked at Him, when we stood there and we've shared bread with Him. When you're John and you reclined against Him because you love Him so much. And then we have this happen. When He was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. When it's realized right there in front of everybody that the peace we're going to get in salvation he's paying for. It's not free at all. It's free to us. It was dearly and costly to Jesus. It was flesh and it was blood and it was real suffering. That chastisement brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. I'm whole now because he suffered. You're saved now. Because he died for your sins. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people most to be pitied. Now the world wants to lead us that way, don't they? The world wants to say he's just a great man. You can embrace his teachings and leave out the supernatural aspects of what he said. He'll make you a better person right now. He'll make you love the downtrodden. He'll make you woke. That's what he'll do. And Paul says it's nonsense. Paul says if that's all you get out of Jesus, you've missed the point. You're, you're, you're to be more pitied than anybody else. Jesus came to save us from sin and restore mankind to its rightful, rightful place in created order. Not to make life in this horrible world more palatable. He didn't come to give us some wise sayings so we can get by. No offense, guys. I'm tired of getting by. I'm tired of eking my way through life. I want to see this world defeated. I long for that day in which I go to be to glory, to be with my Lord. Paul says exactly this in, in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who fall asleep. 
He was the first one. And we're going to be resurrected just like him. Resurrection. It's not just for him. He came to establish resurrection for all those who would love him through the gospel. Every one of us. Christ, the centrality of salvation, has risen from the dead. And he is now completing the mission that Paul speaks of in Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the first among many brothers. He saved us to be his brothers and sisters. He is the first among many. He saved us. He, he saved us to call us to the church. To serve in his kingdom for his glory. Christ comes first. He atones for the sins of his people. He conquers death, making it a footstool. He rises uh, from the grave. He ascends to his throne. And now by way of the church and the gospel calls all men and women to repentance and belief. Everybody being called to repentance and belief. He says, I, when I am lifted up, I will call all men unto myself. He's calling today. Lifted up in, lifted up in crucifixion. And now he calls. The final completion of this act is clearly defined by Paul in Philippians 3.21 when he teaches that Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Now look, I'm a little bit hoarse and raspy today because I've been sick all week and it's just getting worse and not better. And this is it's getting worse during this. So I don't know what even what tonight's going to be like. I'll say this, there'll come a time when we rise from the dead and we'll never be sick again. For some of us, our lives have been defined in so many ways by our sickness or the sickness of someone else. Sickness is going to die one of these days. It's going to be over. We'll never be sick again. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more Alzheimer's. There'll be no more car accidents. There'll be no more war. All those things that rob us of so much joy and bring so much sadness to us are going to die forever. The resurrect, the lowly bodies that we're giving up are nothing in comparison to those heavenly bodies that Christ is going to give us. How? By His power. Everything subject to Him. You'll never be sick again. You'll never get hurt again. What awaits the believers at the infinite enduring of the fallen earthly life. It's not that kind of infinite life that we think about, which is going on like this, which is fearing death and wanting to live like this forever. That is not what God wanted for us. You see, the patriarchs already did that, right? That was Methuselah's 969 years. He lived 969 years. Are you kidding? Do you think it was a blessing to Methuselah? He's a blessing at all. He lived 969 years. He lived almost a thousand years in a fallen state. Getting colds and the flu every year. Losing people that he knew and he cared about every single year. My poor dear grandmother died at almost 101 this, this, uh, recently and she'd outlived every friend she'd ever had. The people at her hospital that were the young kids when she was there were walking with canes. 
can imagine 969 years in this earth. What a curse that would be and not a blessing. So he didn't save us for that so we could struggle on the way we are right now. But freedom, but freedom from sin and shame through death and resurrection and the ending of bodily sin and the final birth of new men and new women. The very swallowing up of death and victory. When he talks about death being swallowed up in victory, that's exactly what he means. He means the resurrection. Not to linger on painfully the way we are now, but to embrace the glory of God in bodily form. When our graves are thrown open. Thrown open. And we enjoy Him in a way we've never enjoyed Him before. Look, the great fulfillment of the will and purpose of God in Christ's resurrection is an action that brings everlasting rest, eternal salvation, to the world. Now, the hymn writer and translator, H.W. Baker, wrote this, Zion's daughter, weep no more. Though thy troubled heart be sore. He of whom the psalmist sung, he who woke the prophet's tongue, Christ the mediator blessed, brings the everlasting rest. The resurrection is the final salvo of a supernatural and cosmic display of the mercy and love of God, which incorporates, one, the manifestation of God the Son in human form through a sinless action. Matthew 1.18 says that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So, so Christ is not born into sin, but he is born as the antidote to sin. Two, allows him to live perfectly in the will of God and without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Three, it compels him to die for the sins of his people. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And is stated epically by Peter at Pentecost to rise from the grave and ascend to heaven. Luke records this in Acts 2, 24, which says, thank you, brother, very much. In Acts 2.24 it says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Excuse me. The journey of Christ to the cross, the grave and the throne was a display of the grace of God in saving his people. Everything that conflicts us or leads us to sin birth, life, death, what lies beyond was conquered and claimed by Christ as a work of God for His people. We are not the victims of cruel fate any longer, but the beneficiaries of the greatest act of love and grace that the universe could ever see, the sacrifice of God for His people. The events of Holy Week bring this to the forefront of our year in the church. Easter is the cause of celebration for all because promises have been fulfilled. Mercy offered. Hope turns to anticipation. And the love of God reigns supreme. Imagine for a moment that we're not born into a world on the verge of transformation of the return of Christ. And we believe that. We believe that Christ tarries, but not much longer. But a world before, in the first days after the cross, when you or I do not fully understand what Christ meant by all he preached, when the Messiah may seem like a long-remembered dream and not a fulfilled prophecy in Jesus Christ, 
the Son of Man, God the Son. Walk in the footsteps of Mary who loved our Lord, but watched Him die. Who recalled His kindness and hoped that He would deliver her. And yet Christ died. Our lords are powerful and revealing in their alliteration when He says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? But though Mary was diligent in caring for his human form, she didn't fully grasp or dare to aspire to his godliness or his promised resurrection. Who can blame her? Death was all too common and agonizingly permanent in the first century. The end of life came quickly and often, and the wails of sorrow over the loss of children. Husbands or wives must have filled the air more than they could be acknowledged. That's when I prayed over this, I thought of that. That might be the call. Even in tiny little villages, like there was talk that maybe you know, scholars said maybe Bethlehem had only 50 people at the time Christ was born. Now, how many days did people wake up to death? Not just the aged, but, but family members, even children. And the way we don't think like this, they thought like this. Death came every day. Mary just assumed that her Lord was a gardener. When she realized to whom she was speaking, her world and ours would never be the same again. Weeping and seeking for Mary and for us are inextricably linked. Now here's the issue. Here's the issue. When we talk about these things, when we have come forth and we talk about resurrection, we have to talk about resurrection from what? We have to talk about death. We have to sit here and say, wait a second, what, what connects us to Mary? What connects my experience as a man and, and your experience as a man or a woman to Mary's? Is that even for us, death is, death is the, the most important thing we face. Many of us in this room right now know what it's like, don't we? Our lives have been changed forevermore. Because of death, my family's life has been changed by death this year and last. To the point that we'll never go back to being the same. It'll never be the way it was. It's radically different. Death unites us with Mary. Mary put her faith and her hopes in Jesus and now he's dead and, and she believed in death. But what happened was through all that weeping and all that seeking when he was right there before her, now we realize that, that sorrow meant something. Those tears were impactful. God had an answer for those tears. If I'm in this room today and I've cried those bitter tears of death, I'm here to tell you this much that Jesus has offered to us the answer to death. I'm not going to say that your heart's going to be immediately healed by that. But I'm going to tell you that the healing for your heart is in the fact that Jesus has overcome death. As with King David who lost a child, and his response was, I cannot bring the child back, but I can go to that child. You can go to them. Humans are caught in a constant loop of confronting the horrors of this world and having no answers for them. Joy and sorrow, sin and shame, death and loss, rejection of God and the hell that rightly follows, all of this causes us to seek where answers can never be found. 
like the body of a dead rabbi instead of a living savior. Luke 24, 5 says, what do you seek the living among the dead? And brings weeping. The answer comes from the mouths of the divine messenger who reports in John 24, 6 through 9, he is not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven, to all the rest. Today remember what you have been told. Christ lives and he reigns and he intercedes for his people from the throne of grace. He longs for the lost children of Israel. He sacrifices himself for a single coin which has been misplaced. And he beckons the wayward, excuse me, to wayward and forgotten men and women. If you believe today that no one in the world values you, if you believe today that everyone you know hates you, if you believe today that you have no one and no thing, I'm here to tell you this much, that the single greatest individual who ever drew breath, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, manifested for you, loves you, and died for you. The antidote to every tear we've ever cried is Jesus Christ. He beckons to wayward and forgotten men and women to generations of prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Not because he owes us anything, but because of the infinite love of his heart. What Jesus did on Calvary, he does for love. He did for the love of you. Turning weeping to joy and let seeking look in the right place for the first time. If you're weeping today, then I would, the only question I would ask is, who are you seeking? Seek in the right place. Matthew Henry wrote his commentaries. He said, we're likely to seek and find when we seek with affection and seek in tears. But many believers complain of the clouds and darkness they're under, which are methods of grace for humbling their souls, mortifying their sins, and endearing Christ to them. It is through sorrow, folks, that we find the greatest blessings. Surrender your wounded spirit to the Son of Man today. Hear and believe the reports of the saints the Word of God as it's preached and the echoing of the Holy Spirit's voice in the dark recesses of your heart. Christ was dead and is now risen. He was crucified and reigning over us all. He's soon to judge, but now He's ready to call your heart out of darkness. The very man who died now calls from the throne of all creation, Jesus Christ beckons to the lost. Come to Him today and die that you might truly live. Die to your sin and die to yourself. That every thought die only to this world, but live for Jesus. 
calls you out of the darkness that has enslaved you into the marvelous light of salvation. I want to ask the question, will you finally hear it? Will you finally hear Jesus today? Stop seeking the wrong things and the wrong people and seek for the first time in your life the one who died for your sins. Because he's not dead at all. Because he rose. And he reigns. And he awaits. And he beckons. And he draws. And today, today is the day of salvation for someone who will cry out for his mercy. Will your seeking and your weeping be turned to joy as Mary's was? And through this you'll have eternal fellowship with the one true living God forever. Seek the one today who shed his blood so that you could be free from your sins. Do this today before it's everlasting too late. Let's stand together and pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and to preach your gospel. And I pray, Father God, that I've done it to the best of my ability. And I pray more than anything else, Father God, that I've come and I've preached in a way, Father God, that, that calls to the hearts of men, not in any false way, Father God, but in the truth of the gospel. I pray for that today, Father God. I know, Lord, that, that there were impediments to the truth today, Father God, that were physically and in me, Father God, and I repent of those things. But I pray, Father God, that today someone heard, somewhere they heard, Father God, because it's the situation is dire. And the darkness is real and it's deep, Father God, and it takes men and women every day. The death comes, Father God, and death without Christ, Father, is truly a death sentence. But we understand, Father God, that, that Jesus came to be the antidote to sin and be the antidote, Father God, to a death without hope. He has come, Father God, so that our deaths could be swallowed up in victory. Because his death, Father God, atoned for our sins. We thank you, Father God, for the propitiating sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He took away every sin of, this, of, of the church, Father God. He died for us so that we now, Father God, can turn and cry out to others to come and be part, Father God, of this wonderful salvation. We love you, Father God. We ask you today, Father God, please bless a heart today to surrender, Father God, before it is too late. We love you. In the name of Christ, I pray.